Well, welcome everyone to Christmas Eve services here at Lord of Grace. Uh, once again, it is a joy to have you all with us here tonight to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we come together at this time every year. Uh, we celebrate this day. It means a lot to us. Uh, it's hard to miss Christmas these days. I think even if you uh, don't believe in God, you won't miss the music in the shops or the movies on TV. I'm always struck, at how, though, at how much it was missed when it first happened. Uh, I mean, people were really expecting, people back in Jesus' day were really expecting a Messiah. They were, they were really expecting God to send someone. They had read the prophecies. They had their eyes peeled for a Savior, for a Redeemer, for a new king who would come and who was supposed to restore the kingdom of David from the old days, 900 years before Jesus. And they had read texts like the one we did tonight here in Isaiah 9, where it says, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. You can just hear Handel's Messiah playing in the background, right? Wonderful Counselor. I'm butchering the song and you're telling me I'm doing it wrong. All right. You aren't? Okay. All right. Either way, right? This is where Handel got it from. Now, we still read this, but we're a long time away from that. So we don't tend to look at these verses at face value. We've forgotten a lot about King David, how he ruled, what he was like. We forgot that there was a time when the people of God had no king. When God brought them out of slavery in the land of Egypt and brought them to the promised land and God promised that he would watch over them and protect them, all he asked is they be loyal. He even gave them rules and guidelines to follow. And we forget that God did not want the people to have a king. In fact, the people came to God and they begged for a king. And then God sent the prophet Samuel to come and tell them, no, you don't really want this. Let me tell you how bad it's going to be when you get a king. The king will exploit you, and he will tax you to death, and he will take your sons for his armies, and his da your daughters for his harem, and he's going to take all your food, and you're going to get caught in endless, endless wars. And the people heard how bad it was, and they said, give us a king! Because they were feeling threatened. They were, and they were insecure. They were in the midst of tribal wars with each other. They were always getting raided by all the peoples around them, the Philistines and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Christmas lights. No. Okay, you are listening. But they were. They were constantly getting raided. And they thought that a king, a big, bad, powerful guy, bigger and badder than the Philistine king and the Moabite king, our big bad guy, that could save us. 
And God told them, this is folly. It's not going to work. Don't sell yourself out. But the people just went back to the prophet and they chanted over and over, we want a king, we want a king. And God gave in and gave them one. Now the first one was a guy named Saul. And that didn't work out very well. So God then got, picked a replacement, not one of Saul's kids, a small shepherd boy from the country who was supposedly quite good looking. And he was good with a slingshot. And you might remember this King David. He's the guy that killed Goliath. A lot of people out there, you say King David, and they're like, who? The guy who united all the tribes. Who? The guy who beat the Philistines. Who? The guy with the slingshot who beat the tall one? Oh, yeah, yeah, him. That's what we remember about David, right? And the slingshot makes sense. I, I was talking several years ago to a Jordanian Catholic priest in Washington, D.C. I'm not making that up. This is true. And he was telling me he used to be a shepherd in that area of the world. And he said, of course, everybody uses a slingshot. He says, we still do. Because sheep, if you know sheep, they, they, they kind of get preoccupied with what they're doing and they kind of wander away, right? And you got one person, you're just little David and you're, you know, and you're sitting there and your sheep start wandering. Well, you can't just go chase one and then they go over that way. So what do you do? You take a little rock and you put it in a sling and you swing it. And so what you do is if, you, if you're good at this, you throw it and then the rock goes over the sheep and then hits the ground and the sheep goes, ah, and gets startled and runs back. That's how you keep the sheep together. Of course David was good with a slingshot. And the other soldiers weren't because being a shepherd was a lower class job. But this was the David we remember. We forget how ugly King David could be. David was a killer. He wiped out whole villages. Whole villages. Man, women, children, babies. Wiped them to the ground. He wiped out whole tribes. He massacred prisoners of war. There's a scene where he captures a bunch of Moabites and he hands them all cut pieces of rope, laid them all on the ground on their faces, and if they had the wrong kind of rope, he killed them. Peace came at a price. Today we would call David a violator of human rights, a war criminal. And yet it was never really God's choice, all of it. God's choice was not to go down that route. And of course, David would die, and his kingdom would split, and it would carry on for a while, and then get invaded and invaded and sacked and invaded, and the people of God would get hauled off to slavery again. And isn't it amazing how quickly we forget the lessons of the past? And that the people of God started longing once again for another King David. This one was going to take out the Romans, like the old one took out the Greeks. This one would lay waste our enemies and do to them what they did to us. This new David was supposed to be every bit as big and bad and ugly as the old one. And they couldn't wait. At least a lot of the people couldn't wait. So why did they miss Jesus? Why did nobody seem to notice when God did send a Messiah from the line of David, born in the city of David, just as the prophet said would happen? How did it fly under the radar if they were looking? 
I mean, it was so under the radar, Joseph, Mary's fiancé, almost dumped her. Had to, God had to send an angel in to convince him to not run. But there's more than one woman that's like, God, send an angel so the guy doesn't take off, right? And then, and, and there was not even family around, so what did God have to do? God had to run out into the fields and send some more angels, scrounge up some shepherds. And then the priests, the scholars, the people who studied this, they, they didn't have any idea what happened. What did God do? He had to go out to Iran and send astrologers in. Everybody missed it. Now, you could say that Jesus' birth by itself wasn't anything all that spectacular. A lot of baby boys were born back then. They think maybe 15, 30 or so in Bethlehem that year. And how were they to know that this one was any different than all the others? And I suppose, uh, but if you're looking for a, a Messiah and you know where to look, don't you think you'd be asking around? Unless you're looking in the wrong place or you're looking for the wrong thing. I mean, isn't this how it works when you look for something? When, when your kid comes up to you and he says he, he lost his little change of Tron and he has to have that change of Tron or he just won't be able to go to sleep. Right? He has to, has to have it. And you're like, oh, all right, I'll go looking. It's the last thing you want to do, right? All you want to do is sit down and eat your ice cream and watch Law and & Order. And now you've got to find this stupid change-a-tron. So you're running around, and you're looking, and you're looking. All right, all right. And you have in your mind this thing, right? And in, in your mind, it, it looks like this little robot thingy, you know, and it's got this blaster thingy. And so you're pick, going under the couch, and you pick up the cushions, and you look under the cushions of the couch, and you look under the bookshelf, and you look under the rug, and you look under the toys, and, and you keep looking and looking. And you actually, at one point, believe it or not, pick up the cushion and go, I can't find it. You come back and you realize later that you missed it. Because a change of Tron changes to look like a car. But you weren't looking for a car. You were looking for a robot. Isn't this how we search? We have an image in our mind, and then we compare what we see to that image. When it matches, we say, ah, I found it now. The problem is, what if you have the wrong image? What if you're looking for the wrong thing? What if the reason we miss so much of what God does in our lives and in our world because we're looking for the wrong thing? You know, you, you always see this, you know, the dating advice, why can I never find Mr. Right? And I want to say, well, maybe if you didn't just hang out at the country club all day, you know, maybe Mr. Right is down at the repair shop turning a wrench and you're blocked off to it because, you know, you, you, you've got a thing against mechanics. Mr. Wright has to have a big tennis sweatshirt and a Lamborghini, right? You're missing it because you've got the wrong image in your head. What if we're looking for what we want God to say or do and not what God says he's going to say or do? What if the reason they all missed the birth of the Messiah was because they were looking for something else, something they wanted, not what God wanted? What if the whole point of Jesus was that God was going to send the kind of Messiah they needed, not the kind they wanted? I have in this image in my office of Jesus, painted by a Swedish painter named Sven Bertel Svensson. 
Great guy, very faithful Christian. He paints in the style of Eastern Orthodox icons. I, I keep it in my office, partly sentimental value. I knew the guy is a great guy. But I also like the look on Jesus. There's a look in him that's innocent and glorious. He has a face that doesn't look like it's full of wrath. And he's got the thing around his head, a little piece of churchy trivia. It's called a cruciferous nimbus. And Harry Potter did not drive one. It's a nimbus, it's a halo, and it's in the cruciferous, it's in the shape of a cross. It's the Eastern Orthodox way of showing glory and divinity. It reminds me when I look at it how totally different from me God is. And I think I need, we always need to remember that. God is more powerful, more compassionate, more wise than I will ever be. God's wisdom is something that I have to be careful not to second guess or think that I know better. And I imagine, I sit there and I imagine the God who made the whole universe, who made you know, quasars and black holes and all this supposedly dark energy that's everywhere and 85% of the universe and we can't measure it, on and on and on. That the God who constructed all these things and made it all good is looking at us in our world and seeing our fights and our conflicts, and our cruelties, and our oppressions, and that that God is unable to think of a different way to live, and be free, and have peace, than simply our bad guy is bigger and badder than your bad guy? Our ruler will beat up your ruler? It's hard for me to think that God, with all this infinite wisdom, and compassion, and love, can't come up with a better solution to our problems than to send us a bigger killer and oppressor than their killer and oppressor. That seems to be putting God in a human box and saying that the universe God made is designed to be stuck in an endless cycle of fighting and wars, of hates and empires and kings. I see this Jesus looking at me, saying that yes, in fact, there has to be another way. God has another way. It's a way of peace and love and forgiveness. It is not a way of power and violence. It's the way of Jesus. It's why Jesus was missed. This little baby coming in total powerlessness, no army, no fanfare, just a working class kid from the country. This Jesus came to save the world, but he did so in the most vulnerable, powerless way. That's why they didn't see him. They were looking for a warrior, not a teacher. They were looking for a, a ruler, not a healer. I don't think that the birth of Jesus is just about the start of something big. It's not an accident that he started in humble surroundings because humility would be how he would live his life. He would be for us the Messiah we need, not the one we kind of want. He would not embrace human power, but would use a bigger power, love, forgiveness, healing, nonviolence. As the Apostle Paul would later say, my power is made perfect in weakness. Because we can see in this baby so weak and harmless what God is really like. 
We can see God resetting things and saying, this is the way I intended it all along. I will shine a light of powerless love into a world of darkness and hate. I will be the light by showing it in my own life with my own self. I will show the path to salvation, not just in heaven, but on earth. And it will not be a path that puts trust in any strong bad guy to fix things but that puts trust in God to fix things. The baby in the manger is not an accident of circumstances or just a slow start to a glorious future. It is the essence of God, perfectly powerful in total weakness. Today the prophecy is fulfilled and God has sent his son to our world to bring us peace and light and salvation. Hallelujah. God bless you, and may you all have a Merry Christmas. Amen.